Welcome to the latest episode of the Brush Builders Union podcast. I'm your host, Simon Berman, General President of the Brush Builders Union. This month, I am speaking with Dr. K, who is running a Kickstarter that is taking the hobby world by storm. Dr. K, thanks so much for coming in and joining us. Thank you, Simon. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. So, uh, you know, among the various things we'll talk about, you've got the uh, the drop top uh, Kickstarter going on right now. I'm, I'm looking at the Kickstarter right as we speak, and the numbers are just going up. Uh, what's that all about? Yeah, so it's been a... Uh, interesting little thing that uh, dropped up. Um, it was very exciting to see how it was received. It was obviously nerve-wracking uh, leading up to that because you know there's a lot of things that go into such a simple part, and it was pretty cool to see how well it was received. Actually, yeah, you're at almost uh, almost 1,400 backers. Yeah, yeah, and and it's uh, been really amazing uh, how much people have shared it and given us their feedback, which is really really helpful. Because uh, that's why it was made is just to make it uh, a little bit more streamlined and easier to enjoy your hobby. Sure. So, um, you know, for people who may not have heard of it yet, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what the project is? Sure. So basically, and I'll get into the inception in a little bit, but uh, it's a top that basically goes right on top of your Citadel uh, paint pot and replaces it. And it has a squeezable tip that allows you to control the paint and the flow of it. And also, I, I based on my tests, it uh, certainly makes the paint last longer as well. So it's a bit more uh, sealed than the top that it comes with. That makes sense. So it's not drying out as much or you're not getting those paint rings. Exactly. And I think um, a lot of people can uh, attest to the fact that it sometimes you don't quite close the uh, pot all the way or doesn't quite seal right because you have some paint in there. Um, so this kind of gets rid of all those those issues that's cool so it just kind of works by it just snaps on the top of your existing paint pot just, what do you just do you take the top off that's with a knife or some such uh, the top actually comes off really easy so if you just take your paint pot and just pull it um, the little ring comes off and then you take the drop top and you press it on there and it clicks in um and you're ready to rock yeah it looks cool i mean i've, I've ordered a the the set of i think 10 myself um definitely you know had over the years of using Citadel paints like you said, the paints are great, but the, those caps certainly can get jammed up. So I'm really excited to see what they do. Um, I think I'll probably use them for texture paints more than anything, which is going to be a great uh, applicator for that. Yeah, that, that was the interesting part was that was uh, after uh, discovery was when we you know, started testing it. Uh, we were kind of blown away by how uh, diverse it was and all the other uses you had for it. I think the coolest part, at least for me, was the shades, um, being able to go straight to terrain or your figure and then kind of push the puddle around a little bit to get in those recesses. Um, but that's a pretty cool feature of it as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, personally, the part that appeals to me the most is um, the simplicity of installing them on the paint pods. Because, you know, I, I've been looking at dropper top conversions for, or not conversions, but you know, transferring my bottles or decanting my, my paints to uh, drop top bottles, which seems like just a tremendous hassle. So I, I love the effect that, you know, you can just kind of pop these on instead of having to, you know, maybe lose paint in the process of decanting. Right. And, and that was part of the, uh, you know, the early um, discovery was, you know, when I initially searched for it, that seemed to be the only answer. Yeah, it was, it was a challenge to say the least to try to do that. Um, and I, I think a lot of people have done it successfully, but um, I'm not, I just wasn't that patient. It seemed like a lot of work. Yeah, that's, that's definitely where I landed on it. Um, you know, I, I know one of the guys in the Brush Builders Union Discord is, uh, he's currently transferring, I think, all of his probably 100, 150 paints over into that. And uh, I wish him well, but better him than me. 
Right, right. So, you know, how did you kind of get, get started on this? Have you been a uh, miniatures painter for a long time? So the funny story is I'm actually new to the hobby. I actually found it in 2019. So my other oh, wow. life is I'm actually a professional artist and um, also have owned several different businesses. And it, I discovered miniatures through doing some research for a project. And so I happened into a games workshop store. And the next thing you know, I was several hundred dollars deep into plastic parts and I was on my way. And uh, that sounds so about right. interesting. Yeah. So, so what was interesting is that I actually, it kind of rekindled those childhood joys of, of, I used to love painting military planes and models growing up. So it was kind of like this whole new look at doing it. And it was very exciting for me. It's kind of like a, I describe it as a 3D coloring book for me. And it was a great break away from uh, what I do all the time, which is paint on canvas or or uh, walls and stuff like that. So then was the paint issue. So I couldn't actually, I discovered I couldn't use a lot of the paints that I use in my artwork. Um, so obviously I gave a shot to a couple different brands and I really liked Citadel uh, across the board. And, you know, it's pretty straightforward with the recommendations and the boxes. And I think it was a few weeks in that I had my first uh, shade spill. I think it was Nolan oil actually. And I will never forget. Yeah, of course. Uh, that was the that was very painful for some reason. It just hurts really deep, stained some clothes, a bit of the floor, and that's kind of where it all started to begin. My hands were always a little bit messy. Uh, I dabbled with a few other brands of paints that come with droppers, and me personally, I think some of the droppers, uh, even the dropper bottles themselves, aren't that great because the tips kind of get clogged too. Um, I had an incident with, um, uh, forgive me here, scale 75 paints where I had a little clawed tip and the, the tip of it popped and just exploded off and paint got everywhere. Yeah. So, it's, it's funny you say that. I, I lost half a bottle of uh, pink scale 75 that way this summer. Right, right, right. So They're wonderful paints though, but, but you know, those drop bottles. Yeah. So, you know, there's all these things. And so um, we were out for tacos as, you know, any group of friends should be. And we started talking about some, you know, wild ideas and the idea of like, Hey, why doesn't somebody make this thing for, you know, fixing the Citadel paint pot or something and uh, decided to give it a shot. So didn't realize how difficult it would actually be to make something so simple, to be honest. Um, it's actually very, technical like the materials and everything had to be right and so there was a lot of failed prototypes to say the least some real frankenstein projects that uh just didn't work and you know there was part there was moments in there where we were like you know is this really the do people really even need this you know but uh we decided to move mm -hmm. forward and we ended up coming up with something that really really worked well and after getting some prototypes on my paints I, there was no turning back. I, I couldn't even imagine painting the other way ever again, to be honest. Like it was so much cleaner. Um, I think maybe I'm an amateur, but uh, you know, when I had the pots, I'd be stirring them with the stir stick and, you know, dabbing them onto my paint palette or sticking my brush in there. And it just seemed to be inefficient and yeah. wasting a lot of paint. And so now uh, you're able to control it down to these little dots, which, 
you know, you have just the amount of paint that you actually needed. So you end up using a considerable, you know, less, I don't want to quote an exact percentage because I'm not a scientist, but it, it's, it's considerable. Sure. And so, um, yeah, we were able to refine a lot of the things and get it right with the right materials. And then, you know, kept it pushing and it took about six months to, to get it to where we're at. So, um, you know, what, what, what went into when you, when you had your prototype that worked, you know, what were your next steps in getting, you know, um, your, your manufacturing line set up? Yeah. So I, I actually, um, had a lot of experience in product development and supply chain management and manufacturing, a lot of contacts at, uh, different suppliers, injection molding and, and et cetera. Um, so it was a pretty straightforward transition and really it just came down to making sure that this thing worked really well. Um, and it did, and we tested it thoroughly. Um, I painted, you know, probably 20 models, uh, just exclusively using, uh, the drop tops and, you know, put it through its paces and wanted to make sure that it was fully refined before we release it to everyone. And now it's getting geared up and, you know, we're going to use the Kickstarter to get it to everyone and get it to them as fast as they can. And I think once they get in people's hands, that's when it's going to really um, shine through because they're going to see the huge difference um, in the effectiveness of, of using their paint. Yeah, I believe that. Um, you know, having watched your video, um, being able to, you know, apply like a drop bottle with the Citadels is just going to be a really, really big uh, game changer. I, I think particularly, like I mentioned myself with um, the texture paints in particular, when you're trying to get on a base into a difficult spot. Um, but I think the, the other thing that's going to be exciting is, is airbrush use because getting Citadels into an airbrush... Um, it's kind of a pain right now, isn't it? Yeah, so I, I'm actually a huge airbrush guy. Uh, I use it a lot in my my day to day work of uh, being an artist. So that was probably one of the first things I loved about it was that I could go straight into uh, gravity fed airbrush and uh, you know start basing or doing um, uh, base coats and stuff like that and highlights with it. Um, so yeah, that that's another. Uh, amazing use of it. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I'm um, just just out of curiosity. So you know, you said you, you worked as a as a fine artist and maybe a muralist. Yeah. So I have been uh, doing this for about 13 years now professionally. Obviously, I think everybody's an artist. It's just kind of the transition into uh, doing it as a job, I guess. So um, I've worked in different industries, um, traveled the country, selling my artwork. Uh, and now I just do commissions for private clients and do solo ex exhibitions. Um, so yeah, it's pretty fun. That's great. You know, I, I, I've had a few um, professional miniatures painters on the podcast in the last few months. And one of the things we've always talked about is um, how they started as miniatures painters and then came, um, as they got more serious about it, they came into you know more of the fine art world and looking into reading into, you know, uh, art history and color theory and, and all of that stuff. So it's kind of interesting to talk to you as coming from the opposite direction. I'm curious what your journey as a painter has been like in miniatures. Um, you know, what were kind of some of the the differences and challenges and, and uh, from, you know, taking your fine art background and applying it to the, the 3D, the 3D models. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I actually learned a lot by the, it, it's just a different game. Um, obviously there's a lot of detail in fine art depending on, you know, what the piece is, but, this is a whole nother level and I've never, you know, had to put on a magnifying glass to look at a character's face. And you're kind of dealing with these little microscopic movements of blending paint and, 
you know, even the fact of, you know, how you handle the paint greatly affects the outcome of your model as well. Because if you start building up too much paint, it kind of looks lumpy and uh, there's kind of, there's some real skill to it. But I, I find it very meditative um, for me. And it's a nice break uh, to where, you know, the three-dimensional forms kind of set up for me already. So I get to just have fun and play with the lighting. And, you know, I kind of imagine what the character you know, it's feeling in this particular scene. And so it, it takes off some of the uh, the other aspects of traditional painting and lets me have the more fun parts of it. And I actually like building bases and sculpting, inventing little things. Um, and it's really taught me a lot. And it's it's just really fun. Do you, do you think there's anything that you're doing in miniatures paint that you'll apply to your more traditional work? Yeah, for sure. I, I already have. And I've incorporated a lot of actually dimension to my work. Um, in fact, I did a recent piece about a few months ago where, you know, I remember seeing the cape on uh, one of the figures and I kind of applied the same theory to this uh, really large painting that I did. Uh, so I had like uh, a dress that was actually applied onto the painting to give it this dimension. And I got the idea from, from uh, a miniature. Oh, that's super cool. So, so I said, Crossy. So, what what was the miniature that, that got you into miniatures gaming? What what was your uh, your kind of tipping point? So, so, so now that I am involved into playing the game, I don't want to uh, corner myself in any factions. But I will openly admit it was a uh, it happened to be a Space Marine and Reboot Gilliman, um, which I know some people have you know their thoughts of him. But I, I think it was a really cool model and. Um, I, I wasn't into the lore yet. I, I'm just still even barely reading some of it. So, but the model itself sure. is is really cool. I liked um, the torches on it because you could do some, as people, I guess, in the miniature world call it OSL. Um, you could kind of highlight some of right. that reflecting back on them. And so it was a pretty fun model and very honestly very intricate for my first one because all the the trim that's on them i was kind of shocked at like how long it took me actually yeah you certainly dove into the deep end of the pool with him yeah yeah for sure and then uh you know i didn't stop there apparently and i the next mod i did was uh arcan so that pretty much just shredded my oh, wow. mind because i don't know I mean, yeah you know I, <laughs> I i got into it and you know 100 and something hours later i'm like what have i done and uh but it, it was a really fun model, and uh, you know, I got it right above my desk because I'm very proud of it. So yeah, it's a beautiful model. I'd love to see pictures if you got them. So feel free to send them over. Yeah, um, they're on. Uh, so do, we have. Do you, our, are you mostly approach? Oh, go on. Yeah, we have our Doctor Tabletop Instagram, and I. It's actually the most recent uh, post I put up is the Arcan, the model. Oh, rad! That's great. Yeah, there'll be there'll be links to all this stuff, and we'll talk about all that a little bit at the end of the episode. But. Um, yeah, that's great. So, are, are you mostly approaching miniatures as as display pieces, or are you doing some gaming with them as well? Yeah, so I, I'm. For me, I, I think that I lean more towards enjoying the painting. I, I certainly, I'm a big chess guy, and uh, I love strategy games, like um, even on PC and stuff like that. So, it's been interesting, uh, even getting into tabletop gaming, and I'm I'm really enjoying the social aspect of it, and. It's kind of just got a different feel to it in general because I think you're invested because you've painted your your character and you kind of show up and you're proud to show it off and 
you kind of feel like you're really managing your own army. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly, I think I enjoy painting them a lot more. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people sort of end up in that place. And it's something I've spoken with other people about how, you know, at, at the end of the day, even if you play the game a lot, you're probably going to spend more time painting and hobbying. And, you know, that's in a lot of ways is the time you're going to spend the most time um, in that that fictional world, right, is while you're painting and thinking about it. And I think, you know, that that's a great big part of the appeal to me, at least. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like I've gone to this, I own more models than I could possibly paint right now. And it's kind of like a... You, you end up just going into the store and going, oh, you know what? I should probably get that too because it'd be really cool if I painted that. And before yeah. <laughs> you know, you have like 35 built models, and you're just like, I don't know what I'm going to ever do this. So, I yeah. So you 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 haven't even really experienced the the joy of you know buying the things that they don't even get built. They just you know they're in a box in your basement after a while. So you have that to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's just it's fascinating to me to see somebody coming from fine art into miniatures because it, it really does usually go the other way around. You know, have there, have there been any particular you know painting styles that you've applied to miniatures or things you could see yourself applying in the near future? Um, for me, well, I think right away the underpainting idea. So when I got into it, I, I didn't do any research to be honest. Like I didn't look up YouTube videos of how to do it or anything. Um, I because I kind of like uh, you know trial by fire kind of thing. And probably would have saved some money if I if I did watch some videos. But um, I started off doing the underpainting thing, which I guess is called the Xenophall. I'm not sure actually how to say it, but um, where it's the Xenophall, yeah. Xenophall, yeah. So you know, I put that down first, and then start working with it. I, I noticed that um, the biggest issue is it's an acrylic paint so it kind of dries out really fast and so i just used um some of my paint retarder from the acrylics that i use for my paintings and I, and I applied it to slow down the dry times so that i could get those blends and fades in there um but again i think that the the challenge was just how tiny these brushes are and the um the very small movements of some of, of the pieces to, to get them to, to look right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's awesome. You know, your first model was this big showpiece ultramarine and you, you, you were attracted to and jumped in with the, the, the OSL, which is a technique that I think most miniatures painters consider sort of very high end and, um, you know, intimidating. And have you, how did that go for you? Uh, I think it came out pretty well. Um, it, it was, again, I think for me and, and I don't want to make it sound like it, it wasn't difficult, but it was pretty straightforward because it's kind of the same rules. And I think being three-dimensional, it allows it to kind of play out naturally uh, where the the, the OSL mm -hmm. hits and, and stuff like that. But um, I think, you know, and I've looked at some some amazing painters, like I'm, I'm blown away, to be honest. Um, I Forgive me because I don't remember all of their names, but um, some sure. of their, you know, their highlights and their OSLs are unbelievable because it's it's the little stuff that I think you know the the more high end you get in the paint jobs you start to notice these just really subtle tiny little things that make it hyper realistic and 
Uh, really, really cool stuff out there right now. Yeah, the devil's really in the details when it comes to miniature stuff. Where you know you, you can have a very straightforward paint job, but you know it's that 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 one or two little details that somehow just makes the whole thing come to life, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think too, um, seeing a lot of the uh, non-metal metallic thing or the debate between that. Um, but I, I think that you know to see it really well done is extremely impressive. Um, I think that there's a lot of imagination there that goes into play and balance, um, either doing chrome or reflective gold. I mean, it's um, it, it's definitely a challenge to to pull off. Yeah, I mean, non-metallic metals in particular are, I think, partic- especially unforgiving because you know I, your eye knows whether it's a real reflection or not. Um, I think it's one of the most difficult things you can do in the hobby. Is that something you're planning to explore? Yeah, I dabbled in it a little bit. Um, it, it's a time thing probably for me right now is obviously uh, there's, there's work to be done. So it's, it's difficult to, you know, I don't, the Archeon kind of robbed me of, you know, a majority of last year, to be honest. So um, I don't know. It's a huge bubble. (laughs) Yeah. The thing is just crazy. Um, But yeah, I I definitely will probably do a few. Uh, I, I think I did a shield on the Keeper of Secrets with some non-metal metallics. Um, and I'll probably post some of those as well. But uh, yeah, definitely going to venture into that. But you're mostly using Citadel paints at this point? Yeah, exclusively I am using Citadel. Obviously, their white paint, as I discovered, is basically, I don't know if that um, could be called paint. Um, I don't know if I'm just getting bad batches of it, but um, that's pretty pretty difficult to work with. So um, I use some different um, brands of white paint to kind of cover that range. And, you know, and I have a little bit of everything just because early on I, I tried it all. Um, and, sure. you know, and honestly, it was interesting because how challenging it was work uh, to work with these things based on the container that they were in. Um, I think Vallejo has a little snip mm-hmm. tip um, so you don't have to deal with the tip exploding off if it clogs. But um, right. the, the dropper bottle in general, the issue is that there's nothing to unplug the, the thing anyways, except for sticking something in there. And you kind of just shove dry paint into your back in your paint. Um, so yeah. we, are, uh, we are certainly on the potential horizon of solving those problems as well. So what is your solution for keeping the, uh, the tip from clogging with the, uh, the drop top? So the way it was designed is at the very tip there is a cap and um, there's actually some really cool like hidden stuff within the cap and the way it's shaped um, to create a seal, but there's a stem inside of the cap. So every time you push it back on to seal your paint, you're actually clearing the tip. So every single time you pull it out, it's good to go and it's clear. Oh yeah, that's ingenious. So you, you, just out of curiosity, you, you had mentioned that there were some kind of dead ends in the development process with some, some kind of rough results or any of those uh, interesting to talk about? No, I think early on, you know, with anything, it's just kind of like, how do you, how do we even do this? You know, it's kind of like uh, different shapes and different um, ideas. The size of the thing was, was uh, a concern because it was like, I think early on, you know, I think we just like bolted a, squeezing thing on top of it and it was just like a horrendous looking thing and you know wanted to make sure that it looked like it was supposed to be on it you know and uh and sure and again it just really surprised us at how well it works it's it's 
really cool. You know, I'm realizing one of the things I, I find very appealing about the drop tops is, um, you know, I guess that the, the plastic's transparent, right? So after you've shaken it up, the paint is going to kind of coat the inside, but it's actually going to make the paints much easier to eyeball on your paint shelf. Exactly. So that was uh, another one of those things that we wanted to make sure that we had a material that was clear for exactly that reason, so that when you had your paint sorted, that you could quickly just grab it and see it. But yeah, that's definitely... Uh, no, it's great because... You know, I've I've got about three hundred and fifty odd paints at this point. Not all P, not all Citadel, but um, uh, significant, maybe a majority. And uh, you know, I don't I <laughs> I don't have a particularly great organization set up for, uh, or I don't have a great way to organize my paints at the moment. So I often spend you know five minutes poking around trying to find the right color from amongst my Citadel. So that's actually going to save me a lot of time if I start converting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, mean, I think it's a pretty exciting thing. So you know, how long were they in development for? I think in total, it's been about seven months, six months. Um, so obviously from idea to, uh, bringing it, you know, we made sure that before we ever put it on Kickstarter, I think that was the other thing too, is that, um, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know, cause I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think that there's a lot of confidence, uh, when you can have a product and show it actually working as a working prototype and to take it a step oh, further, yeah. we wanted to make sure that we could put it in full production and make sure that we uh, met the needs of people as soon as we possibly could. Cause you know, I saw some projects on Kickstarter where people were waiting, you know, two years or, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, please pledge for an idea of something so that we could develop it further. Um, so we really wanted to, I think in this case, so it wasn't a fairy tale, actually show it working and make sure that it could be made. No, that, that makes total sense. So the uh, the image, <clears throat> sorry, the ones we see on the Kickstarter, are th those are actual prototypes or manufacturing prototypes? Yeah, so those are those are prototypes um, that we made. And um, we use a lot of different materials. But yeah, there, we, uh, we made uh, probably about 50 of them and, uh, you know, just used them every which way and tested them out. But yeah, those are um, all work. Those are actually from my, my paint lineup that I currently use too. No, that's very cool. And yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the reaction has been, been enormous, right? I mean, 1400 people, you're pushing a hundred thousand dollars on your, what, just under $40,000 goal. Yeah, exactly. That, that was uh, pretty amazing to see. Cause again, we were, um, you know, early on, you know, before you hit the button, I think that, you know, anybody's nervous before they launch something. And I, I was, I think I was more nervous because I was excited to get this out there because it was kind of like an aha moment when, you know, we got our hands on it and it, and it really worked. It was kind of like this Eureka thing. And so I, I, we were nervous because, you know, the world is about to get this, this answer for this thing that I think has plagued them for a long time. So, um, so that was pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Do you uh, do you think you might try and expand the in the future to uh, other paint lines? Yeah. So um, I don't want to confirm or deny anything, but uh, I think sure we we definitely. I think when obviously when uh, we started this company, um, this was not a. I was not trying to be a one hit wonder here, and we think that uh, we're really good at. Um, finding these unique problems and solving them in an effective way for people. Uh, so there's definitely going to be a, a myriad of products um, on the horizon um, within this, this industry. So, yeah. Well, that's really exciting. 
is there a, are there any other like I don't want to give away your, your future plans, obviously, but have there been any other moments of frustration or, or obvious moments that you saw that the, the hobby could use an improvement that you can talk about? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think that, you know, right now we're going to stick to the creative side of it. Um, so we're, we're going to sure. start here in this lane of, of resolving the paint thing. But, um, you know, I have a lot of experience in, in working with different brushes and, you know, there's some pretty amazing brushes out there now. And, and frankly, you can get, um, you know, fine art brushes and bring them over to the miniature side um, as well. And then there's people just making dedicated brushes that are really great. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of finding these little specific problems that uh, people have and, and you know, we hope to make it a platform where we can incubate these ideas or people get frustrated with something that they can voice into us and we put it in our, you know, think tank and we can maybe come up with a solution for it. So No, that's super cool. So speaking of brushes, um what what is your what's your weapon of choice for miniatures? Uh so I believe it's a Kalinsky, is that what it is? I think it's a sable brush. Uh, I definitely prefer Yeah, the, the Kalinsky sable, yeah. That's yeah, that that's uh that seems to be my my bread and butter there is pretty solid brush overall. Uh, and I obviously lean towards, you know, more um, real, you know, hair brushes versus it's synthetic uh, for my taste. So, yeah. Is, is there a, is there a brand or and or size you prefer that you find yourself using as a work brush? Uh, basically it's like a one. I got to look at the numbers actually of what I use. Um, the one and the two. And then I, I use the, um, the broad, the dry brush from uh, Citadel actually to do a lot of like the little uh, textures and dry brushing and stuff like that works pretty well. Yeah, their their dry brush is actually surprisingly good. Um, I I don't I don't particularly care for most of their brushes for the price you pay for them, but uh, yeah, they they do make a very good dry brush. Yeah, no, I was saying, and the thing that I like about the dry brush too is kind of as it gets beat up, you know, I think that people talk about it a lot, but you can end up using it for different textures and um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a fun little thing to kind of mess around with textures and stuff like that yeah I, I think very few people actually throw their brushes away they just kind of find uh new uses right right yeah uh, but i was curious for, for your sable brushes is there a brand you like like windsor and newton or Raphael? yeah yeah um, uh, the Raphael is probably that that's the one i'd i'd take over the uh, i think the windsor newton that's your go-to like, yeah so the, the windsor newton is kind of like even in the other realm, it's kind of hit or miss for me. Sometimes they had some really great brushes and other times um, it's kind of a little bit off. But uh, And then there's a Skoda, I believe is how you pronounce it, but um, is another type of brush. It's, I don't think they make them fine enough for miniatures, but I use a little bit larger brush um, on some of them. Sure. But you're generally going for size one and two, you said? Yeah, I keep it pretty... Um, pretty tight overall obviously i think you can get away with um you know the citadel brushes for doing some of the bigger stuff but i honestly you know for bigger areas i'm a big airbrush guy so you know oh sure you call me lazy or, or anything but i think you just get really smooth um tone layout with the airbrush so you know i certainly use that for my advantage no, absolutely. I mean, I think I think airbrushing has become so much more accessible in the hobby in the last ten years too. You know, when I started painting in the '90s, airbrushes were kind of seen as you know the a very kind of exotic tool that you know you need to have a lot of money and and time to get into. Um, and it's it's really kind of taking over the hobby in more recent times. 
Is there is there an airbrush you particularly like? Yeah, so I'm I'm a big Iwata guy, and I have been since the beginning. Uh, I've been using them for basically my entire artistic career. Um, the HPC is kind of like a workhorse. They have the Micron. I think the HPC really gets a lot of it done. You can also get it done with the Eclipse. Um, but I find that Iwata is really just a great workhorse, and you can find replacement parts. I know that the big um, bickering with airbrushes is, you know, keeping them clean or if it gets clogged up. But I think once you get a, a nice cleaning ritual down, that um, that issue kind of goes away, and it's really an amazing tool. And I usually have my airbrushes for, you know, I think I still have one that's like ten years old. So. Oh wow! Yes. Yeah, so, so um, do you find you do most of your sort of like base coating on larger models with airbrushes then, or are you using them for detail as well? Yeah, obviously it's um, all that, that's been the interesting thing, right? So learning, um, you know, I made the mistake like with the reboot Gilliman early on as I built the whole model. And then I realized like, okay, I shouldn't have done that. And um, so just, I guess it sure. depends on how you go about doing your models. But I think like, you know, with the Arcan model with the wings, um, I did that one in pieces, so that was helpful because then you can kind of airbrush. And if you look at the photo, um, I put some realistic fire on the wings, which was all done with airbrush. So it shows kind of the detail that you can get uh, with the airbrush and getting the right viscosity of the paint. Um, and I think it's good for smoothing out some of the, you know, tones and skin. But, you know, you start getting into faces and it gets a little challenging to get the, the paint in there um, and, and blended. So, um, yeah, I try, you know, cloaks, wings, you know, obviously vehicles are great um, uh, to airbrush. So. Yeah, they really shine on vehicles. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I'm just, I'm so impressed that, you know, you're, you've jumped into the hobby very recently and you, you're, you're already pulling all of these sort of uh, high-end tools for the hobbyists. I think it's, it's really uh, inspiring to see that. And, um, you know, the, the, the fact that you're already, taking steps to uh, hopefully improve everybody's hobby experiences is really um, inspirational. Yeah, I think that that was the, you know, again, the, the fun part about this was um, I did it, you know, I stepped into it on accident and then I stayed for the fun. And, you know, I, you know, was very frustrated that while I was having fun, that it was hard to, you know, streamline some of the stuff and, and maybe, you know, I, I was, you know, over the top of saying that it wasn't fun, but, you know, it was, it was difficult to mix up paints and, you know, waste them and get my, it was just kind of like, a, so I wanted a little bit more streamlined process to, to my hobby that I, I enjoy now. And um, I'm excited about it. Oh, that's cool. I mean, also, I, I think, I think the, the drop top makes it a little easier on your brushes too, right? Cause you know, when you're, when you're dipping your brush into a pot of paint, you always risk getting some into the ferrule and there's no quicker way to kill a brush than that. Is there? Exactly. And that was, um, which is interesting that, uh, you know, it's just an interesting thing overall that, uh, you would dip a brush into. I mean, listen, I, I, I've stuck a few brushes in the shade jar myself, you know, in a, in a haste, but, uh, yeah, it definitely, once you get paint in there, you, you, you start getting problems and, and your brushes go bye-bye. Yeah, for sure. 
So, you know, it, it looks like you're, well, you're obviously going to fund because you're almost 50% or almost 100% over your initial funding thing. And uh, the uh, release date sort of set for this coming August? Yeah, so that was the, um, you know, we wanted to give a date that was pretty absolute, but uh, we're aiming to beat that. I don't want to um, make a statement that, you know, we absolutely will, but uh, we thought it was a very reasonable timeline. And like I said, we're aiming to get it before then. Because um, we're, like I said, we're, sure. we want to have people start using it and, you know, get even more feedback. But also, I think that they'll be really willing to share with their friends or, you know, finish out their paint line with it once they use it. Uh, will, the, uh, will they be available after the Kickstarter? Yeah. So once the, uh, the Kickstarter is over, we'll have them on our website as a continued pre-order. Um, but uh, yeah, so probably right when they're delivered to the, um, the backers um, around that time was when they'll be available for uh, actual retail. Oh, great. So they'll be available through retail channels as well? Uh, yeah, uh, directly through us um, to begin. And then we had a few uh, stores also back us. So they'll be carrying it um, at their shops as well. Oh, great. Yeah. Very cool. Do you have any plans to uh, go on the convention circuit and show people the uh, the caps in action? Yeah, that was something that we talked about. Um, we're trying to figure out, obviously, it's a little late in the game. Um, but, you know, we'd like to go to Adepticon or a couple of these other events and, and let people get their hands on them. Um, so yeah, we're certainly, yeah, that's um, great. And if not this year, certainly by next year, uh, we'll have our booth with, uh, sure. you know, this product and potentially some other ones. Very cool. All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add about the drop tops or uh, say anything you'd like to say to your Kickstarter backers or people who are thinking about backing the Kickstarter? You know, um, again, it, it's a huge thank you. Um, obviously uh, the community as a whole is amazing i think you know everybody's in this to help each other and this is um you know it is a challenge to create such a simple product and and make it available to a lot of people you know there's a lot of things that go into that so we really appreciate the support and um making this possible to be made and like i said we just can't wait for people to get in their hands i can't wait to get mine i'll, I'll make sure that uh you're on the short list to get yours, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't need any special treatment, but I'm excited to see them for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. K, thanks so much. If you're listening and you'd like to take a look at his very cool drop tops, you can search for a drop top by Dr. Tabletop on Kickstarter. But we'll have links to that and their Instagram in the show notes. Otherwise, Dr. K, thanks so much for coming on. I'm excited to see how this comes out and what you do next. All right. Thanks, Simon. Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com. Mm-hmm.